Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am Eric Acker, the host with Karen. Hey guys. So Karen lives. She's here after <laughs> it's been a hot minute. Quite quite a few weeks. <laughs> Uh, so this is our actual hundredth episode, and I wish I could say we have a very si- exciting episode for you, um, but I don't have that much planned. Uh, we- <laughs> but thank you for sticking with us. If you've uh, stuck with us from the start, and if you are just tuning in, feel free to uh, download our previous episodes. <laughs> yeah, we- hopefully they're helpful. Yeah, we had the the last couple episodes with Dylan Thomas. Uh, that was, I think, I like that interview. Um, but we promised to do an update since orientation is done and we've started doing actual work as doctor, a doctor, you know, and Karen has been doing a lot of work at the house with uh, five, five little ch- children, uh, probably more work than I've been doing, to be completely honest. For now, for now. She, she's not even denying it. She's definitely pulling the, the heaviest, <laughs> doing the heaviest lift. Yeah. So I guess... With the home front, anything? No, we're still unpacking. That's going to be a while. <clears throat> Can you talk into the microphone? <clears throat> we're still unpacking. That's <laughs> going to be a while. It always is. And I feel like, I don't know, with every house that we've moved into, I've re- not redecorated, but um, reallocated where things went for multiple times over multiple years and finally got settled and then we move again. So And we lose everything. <laughs> yes, we have most of the necessities unpacked, but we are still finding new and fun things. Yeah, and occasionally finding things that you, like we're not finding things. Like um, I was putting together my lawn, the lawnmower. I just needed to put the, the mowing deck together and I needed a pulley and an arm bracket that hold, held the pulley onto the to the deck, and that was those were both missing. Those are the only two parts I was missing, so I had to wait another couple weeks to get those new. Oh, and a and a blade, <laughs> uh, one of the lawnmower blades was missing, so had to wait a couple more weeks. Got it. Got to mow the lawn. That was very satisfying. I'm not gonna lie. Like so, the lawnmower we knew ran. You know, like it would turn on and I can drive it. And so that was pretty exciting. We knew that when we moved here, we got that fixed up and we got it onto the truck and everything. We drove it from the storage unit back to the house. Um, but we never actually hooked on the mowing deck before. So this was like the first time to see if this thing actually would perform a function that we actually wanted it to do. Uh, so we... <laughs> We did get the deck loaded up and going, and it was so nice having the, like just mowing the lawn and doing it so much faster than a push mower would have done. I had a I had a blast. Uh, <laughs> I don't think yes, they... the kids were very jealous. They wanted to go ride, and I kept telling them no. Um, Apparently, that's not a not a thing we're doing with the kids just. Yet. Oh, it's a thing that we get we can do, but not all four of them can go out and ride with you. Yeah, it's a one at a time and. Well, truthfully, they don't want to ride with me. They just want to drive the mode. They want to. They want to drive. Yeah. 
So, um, so we did we did orientation for two weeks, which was pretty dull. And I was very thankful to have that episode, those special episodes, part one and two, because like I don't know how much anyone wanted to hear about um, policy with every program. Like every program has all these different policies, and they talk to you about HIPAA and how to report safety hazards and how to clock in and how to use the EHR system. And that's all pretty dull. It is. But so Eric's orientation was two weeks. Um, Some of our friends that went to Colorado, their orientation was only three days. Um, Yeah. Well, some of it, especially in some advantages, so like as much as three, you know, two weeks is pretty long. Uh, we did, we did get some workshops in, like we got to go to the sim lab and we got to practice on mannequins. So we have a, a brand new state of the art sim lab with, um, you know, state of the art dummies. We did the ACLS BLS training. We have point of care ultrasounds for, and practice dummies that we can do, uh, IJ practicing on, we can do lumbar puncture practice on, not with point of care ultrasound. Um, they actually have like, it's not for me obviously, but they also, they also have like bronchoscope simulation. Um, and then you have lap, laparoscopic simulation. So people can practice, the surgical residents can practice their skills using laparoscopic uh, tools. They have, uh, they just have all sorts of stuff in that, that stuff. So they actually have apparently one of the mannequins it's not just like you know how the mannequins that will respond in a certain way someone's in the control room pushing buttons are you, and they actually they do actually have one that delivers a baby um that's for the obgyn residents if anyone didn't know uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they have one that's apparently ai based and you can ask it questions and it will answer you Interesting. Which is also terrifying because you'd be like, hey, <laughs> did the Reds win today? And he'll, it'll tell you the score. It's super like weird. And like we made jokes about like how at night it unplugs itself and walks the halls. And like you just don't want to be in the sim lab at night because the AI robot is. <laughs> 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 but like one of them like just blinks. Like you're not actually using it. You just randomly blinks and just like this is this is creepy. But they're like, yeah, this is state of the art. They cost like. A hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars, so that's all pretty exciting stuff. Um, we'll see how much we use it, but that's all pretty <laughs> exciting stuff. Well, all that to say, each program ha- seems to have their own different setup. Eric's obviously was a little bit more intensive. Um, the one in um, Vegas, they're doing like they did like what two or three days of training, but then yeah. their their first week was a boot camp. Um, was that Vegas or was that Colorado? Chris or mm-hmm, Chris. oh. Yeah, they, they yeah they basically did it pretty quick and got them in and going. We were blessed in the sense that our program decided, at least as far as scheduling goes, starting this on July first was not going to be good for scheduling. July first was like a Saturday, so they were like, yeah, it's no good to put, throw a bunch of residents into the schedule on a Saturday, on a holiday week. Um, so they let us start on Monday. Which was nice. Yeah, and I think I mean I think Colorado did as well as well as Wyoming. Oh, okay, but like so, our friend who went to pediatrics in in Loma Linda, he had to go. He had to start on Saturday, so there, there definitely were some people who had to start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so every program's kind of different. 
So it's kind of interesting to hear from everybody and where they're at and what their schedules are like versus ours. And obviously schedules change based off of whether you're inpatient or clinic or um, on a... Rotation. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of different scheduling. And it's it's difficult to know. Like it's, I started neurology, inpatient neurology, and I thought maybe we would not have to work the weekend. Uh, we would we would just work Monday through Friday, but we have to work the weekend. Uh, <laughs> we were we were. It's kind of wild because uh, we have a psych resident that's with us. It's me, another intern, and a psych resident. We also have a med, third year medical student from Drexel that's there. Uh, I'll circle back to that in a little bit because I think that's a, kind of an interesting thing. But um, the attending turned to us today and was like. Hey, uh, so you two are medicine, right? And I'm like, yeah, we're two medicine, internal medicine, and you're psych. Uh, yep, she's psych. And you're like, okay, well, psych doesn't work weekends. So you two need to figure out which days you're covering over the weekend. And it's just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, psych is, you know, they get to have a whole weekend to themselves. They, you know, they don't have to worry about it. Whereas the medicine people, like, we're going to get six days on, one day off. You know, that's just going to be our life. And, I was talking to a friend of ours who's at also at Cape Fear. He got into the emergency medicine program. And I was like, how's your schedule? He's like, well, I did the two weeks of orientation with you. And we're doing more orientation this week. And it's like half days sort of stuff, like a little bit of labs, you know, shadow a nurse in the ED, learned how to do some uh, suturing. And that's about it. And I'm like, okay, but next week you start. He's like, I have one shift next week. And they might have canceled it. So it's like, my gosh, I chose the wrong specialty. I <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly have chosen the wrong specialty. And it was also kind of funny that during the, the orientation, they were doing like work hours because that's a policy. Obviously, they have to discuss is what, how much work hours can you work? And generally speaking, it was like, oh, you guys can work up to 80 hours a week, but you got to average that over four weeks. So if you work 100 hours one week, then maybe you only work 60 hours another week and that would average 80. <laughs> so, uh, which was like, oh, that's a little eye-opening. Um, but I mean, I've ha- I have heard that before. And of course you hear some language like, hey, if we ask that you start your shift at seven and you show up at five o'clock, you're logging two extra hours that we didn't ask you to do. So that shouldn't count as going over your duty hours. So don't do that. And it's like, but maybe we need to stay <laughs> late and maybe we do need to come in early. So we are, cause we're so inefficient as interns. But anyway, I don't know that yet. We'll find out. Uh, that was just a, an interesting statement, but I, I do feel lucky I, as much as I'm complaining about the six days on one day off surgery. Like they had a whole bunch of rules about like, Oh, you can work 24 hours in this but then you have to have like 18 hours off or there's like all these different rules as far as like how many hours you can work before you have to have a certain number of hours off and like there's a a minimum threshold and a maximum threshold like you should be off for at least six hours but you can cut or eight hours but you can come back at six and it's just like man that would suck (laughs) like that's got to be surgery right like it's got to be surgery and ob for sure um, so it could be worse, but it could be better. Um, they also mentioned as like, so everyone else is capped at 80 average for, for four weeks. Emergency medicine 
is capped at 60. So it's like easily a 20 hour difference. It is wild. Those guys, um, again, maybe I, maybe I went to the wrong specialty. I don't know. No, you would not have been happy. <laughs> I didn't like my surgery, rota- uh, emergency medicine rotation. So I'm guessing I wouldn't have liked <laughs> being a resident, but the hours are pretty good. Yeah. But again, hours vary per program because you should not have any of the like 24, 28 hour work days. Whereas, um, in Wyoming, I know that those are being scheduled and pretty common. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about Colorado or, or Vegas, but I, I think I haven't heard, I, you know, I honestly haven't asked. So yeah. I haven't asked. So I don't know. Um, so I don't know. It is interesting. And as, as we get through, go through this process, I'm sure that we're going to hear more from our friends in the other programs and, Kind of, you always compare, right? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, we want to always, like, be the best place. Like, we want want to have ended up in the best spot, but, like, who knows? Every every program has a different way to do it, and I do want to, I guess, really highlight that because, like, my program does a four-to-one ratio, which is, like, you do four weeks of something, and then you do one week of continuity clinic. And some areas do it differently. I think one place, um, I think, the one in Colorado, our friends in Colorado, he does basically every one day a week he's in continuity clinic. And so, like, that is one way that programs do it, that every week you're in continuity clinic, except for one, you know, just one day that you're in it, and maybe not during your inpatient hospital. Um, I think that same program has a perioperative clinic rotation which i've never heard of and we don't have but that's what he's on right now yeah he's on that right now and our program has an admitting team uh, rotation where you do four weeks of doing the admissions but you don't do admissions during your inpatient services so it's it's you you take you take on new patients you just don't do admissions uh so it's interesting um different programs have different ways when i was in northeast georgia uh there was a team every day on the inpatient services that would take admits. So one team a day would take a certain number of admits and the next day, a next team would do it. So, um, like every program has a very different way to do things. So, uh, what, whether one is better than the other, like, obviously I cannot say like, I like having one week because having one week of continuity clinic basically means I know there's going to be one week where I go in at eight o'clock and I leave at five. I mean, I, I got, I got to finish my notes, but like, you go in, you see it's the patients. Very regular it's hours very and regular hours, weekend. and you have a half day off. You have didactics, and then so it's like I know what my schedule is going to be very clearly that one week. Whereas uh, in those programs that have you do a half day of continuity clinic, regardless of what schedule you're on, well, that could really disrupt your flow. I, I think in Northeast Georgia, a lot of a lot of the student, a lot of the residents had continuity clinic, even if they were on the medical team services, which is the inpatient medicine, and so they would just have to leave on a day, you know, half a day. They would leave for half a day to do clinic, and so their patients for the team would be shuffled over to the other residents for that day. And heaven forbid, if that was a day off for another person on the team, and then you only had like two residents on the team that managed the entire list. Uh, so, it, uh, and then of course, like while you're in continuity clinic, you could be getting texted from the, your team going, Hey, this one patient is 
this. I'm not really familiar about with this patient. Can you tell me a little bit more about him? And so you're just like juggling a bunch of stuff. So I, from what I saw from Northeast Georgia, I didn't love that system. And so I do kind of feel like I'm going to like the four to one schedule, but I don't know. I haven't gotten into it. So, um, this is something that everyone, every program has something different. And during your interview process, you're always going to hear residents ask or prospective residents or medical students ask residents about their scheduling. Are you a four to one? Are you a three to one? Are you a whatever? And like, I think honestly, like you, you get what you get. Like, like it doesn't really matter. Um, you, you'll figure out a way, a, a reason why that works for you. And then you'll, you'll be just fine. So, um, so speaking of uh, rotations, we are on inpatient neurology. Uh, I, I, I came into this rotation with a little bit of apprehension because uh, my outpatient neurology was less than... I, I, I need to always preface this. Great teacher, learned a lot about neurology and the practice of neurology, did not particularly appreciate the personality. And um, so having that for four weeks made it really tough to enjoy neurology. Um, I can appreciate what I learned, but it, <laughs> it was like, I don't really want to do a whole lot of this. And when I got on my schedule, like, oh, for the first two weeks, you're going to be on neurology inpatient. I was like, oh gosh, not more neurologist. But so far, we're three days into it. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I was a great. <laughs> hit and miss but I, I've basically been able to leave about 5 o'clock every day today I left a bit earlier and if my attending is listening I didn't leave until 5 but <laughs> uh, which I don't so this today is probably the only day I've been at like legitimately I feel like a bad student but I'm not even sure if I'm technically a bad student so I don't know. I made some mistakes. I got a little bit slapped with my note and I was like thinking it over during lunch. I was like, Oh, I need to go back and rewrite these sections. And when I went back to rewrite them, my attending already rewrote them. So I was like, ah, nuts. Uh, and then, so the way, the way it works is in the morning you meet your attending at eight o'clock and the nurse practitioner, uh, they typically run the list real quick of who's been on the list of, um, patients who have been, you know, neurology has been requested to consult on or we are still on service for and so they run through it and as you as she the attending is going through the list very quickly she just assigns you a patient and it's like okay eric you're going to take this patient and these are the main things i really want you to focus on or these are the things questions i want you to answer when you present to me and so after we run the list we all go to our own little holes or computers uh, we read up on the patients, we get as much information on them as we can from the chart, then we go see the patient, we do our history taking, we do our physical exams, and then we take a few minutes, organize our thoughts, and then we text our attending and say, hey, I'm ready to present, and then she'll tell you, meet me in, the patient, in front of the patient's room, or I, had, I met her in the office today, I just met her, she's like, just come into my office, we'll talk, so... I ran the list with her present, you know, just with her. Uh, she had seen the patient, I think, before I, I went over with her. Uh, my second patient, she didn't see, but there's a special way they do that in the hospital. But either way, you run the list with her. She, you tell her what you pl you think the plan should be. She'll provide education and guidance, and you know, like why 
obviously I'm a first year. This is my third day. So like, do I have a really good comprehensive plan for neurological workup on patients? Probably not. Um, but I kind of getting the hang of things, you know, and then, uh, after you basically discuss it with the attending, you text or you send a secure message through Epic to the actual attending medicine, attending physician and the medical team. And you give them like bullet points, like, Hey, these are our recommendations for the patient. And this was a recommendation that, so I, I have Dr. Jamil this week. I had Dr. Bachelor on Monday. They, they do like Monday through Sunday, I guess. Um, so Dr. Bachelor's suggestion was, is that as soon as you know the plan, when you're the consulting physician, message it to the attending team so that they know what the plan is and they can immediately start putting in orders. Because the way it works at this hospital, the consultants don't order consult so like in one particular case we asked for a vascular consult on a patient uh, I think in some hospitals maybe you would put in the order for a vascular consult and then the they you know vascular would call you you would discuss and the vascular would go see the patient in this hospital everything goes for the attending so you say hey I think the patient should see vascular and the attending goes okay and then they contact vascular and handle that so everything goes for the attending um, but if you wait to tell the attending until, you know, like basically you go, Oh, I'm going to go write my notes up and you spend, you know, two hours writing your notes and it's already like three 30. And then let's say the attending physician is not checking the notes right away and they just don't see it till four. Well, then they're calling the vascular doctor at four 30, right? When the vascular doctor is like, I'm done for the day. I'm out of here. Like your patient may not get a consult that day. Whereas if you would have just texted him at 11, I say text, but secure chat. Um, we're HIPAA compliant, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, this is not me even saying it. I just, um, if, you, if you say it, you tell him at 11, there's a really good chance a patient gets vascular consulted same day. If you wait until 3, 30, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, it ain't happening. It's, going, it's next day's problem. And now your patient has now sat around all day waiting for something to happen. It's not very an efficient time. So, and also your attending physicians are just like waiting for your plan. And then you drop that note at five o'clock. They're like, great. <laughs> it's tomorrow's problem now. So just, that's maybe a, a quick pro tip I got from my our first attending doctor, uh, bachelor. He was just like, tell them as soon as you know, as soon as you know, let them know so that they can start doing stuff. Um, so that's a kind of a, a pro tip. <laughs> um, I don't know. There was some other interesting, I, I kind of want to bring Karen into some of this, but there was some other interesting things like how much as an intern. Um, so like we're a doctor, we have the MD at the end of our name, but like you're sitting next to a third year medical student who really has their, their stuff together. Like, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes who's the, who's the intern. And like, <laughs> Well, so we have this we have this um, third year who I think she's on her third or sec second or third week on this service. So she's really kind of getting the hang of it. And I uh -huh. guess last week there was no residence. So it was just her. Um, and she was like taking three or four patients. So she was doing a really good, good work. But like we were having this table discussion. Uh, I'm trying to remember what was the discussion here. It was, um, I think it was what I told you earlier, but it was... Uh, 
if a patient um, was on aspirin and then had a stroke, and then the protocol is to keep them on dual platelet dual antiplatelet therapy for 21 days if you suspect it is uh, embolic in nature, uh, ischemic stroke that is embolic in nature. Um, you keep them on dual antiplatelet therapy for 21 days, and then you discontinue one of the medications, and you keep them on the, the rest of them a little bit more long-term. And so which medication do you stop, and which one do you keep? And I think initially we're all like, I think the gut reaction for most of the interns was like, you keep the aspirin. And that mostly because it's like, well, aspirin's like super cheap. And they've already been taking it. And so it's like, it's easy. It's easy for the patient to take aspirin. Um, the med student kind of blurted out Plavix. And it's like, and then I thought about it. I was like, oh, she's right. I think that's probably, there's no really right or wrong answer per se. I think as far as the guidelines go. They don't really specify, but like the rationale being like the patient had a stroke while they were on aspirin. So obviously aspirin didn't just, just aspirin alone didn't keep the patient from forming clots and, and emboli that could cause a stroke. So Plavix might be a better option because it's less likely to, <laughs> like it's something different. It's, it's a different, try something different. You know, don't do the same thing and hope for the best. Uh, don't do the same well, thing and hope didn't that... your attendings both have a different answer and reasoning why? Uh, yeah, different attendings have different um, rationales, but I guess my whole point is being like the, the third year medical student had that answer, like right, ready to go. And like pretty smart, pretty, pretty, pretty good. Like we're doctors and the med student has got it. So like, I guess my point there is like even the med students uh, actually aren't they're not morons. Uh, <laughs> they actually ha like she's obviously studying and studying and studying and studying. I've been hanging out since April, so you know who, who's more up to date currently on their medical knowledge. It's probably the med student at this moment. I don't know. I, I have more experience, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I don't know. I, I didn't know what you thought with that. Oh well, your your other one of your other pearls of wisdom was uh, order order the test if you think you need the test so that you don't oh, get yeah. sued. Was... And so along those lines, well, if they're already on aspirin, you might as well do the Plavix. Keep the Plavix. Get rid of the aspirin because if something else happens, you at least did something different and you have a, a reasoning behind it and you you. You probably won't get sued. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is one of those pearls that I I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I tend to understand where it's coming from, and and in our current medical environment, I agree with it. However, this is not something that you should ever answer on your boards. Like your boards are obviously going to have a different. Like you should answer with the conservative. Uh, you know. Use the resources wisely. Don't just throw every test at it. So the, the basically the pro wisdom uh, pro wisdom pro uh, it's late. Um, <laughs> the pearl of wisdom. The that pearl you were of wisdom gifted. that we were we were given was if you think are thinking should I order this test? Don't think about it for any longer than two seconds because uh, if you thought about it, then you probably should do it. And if you thought about it, then somebody else is going to think that you should have. And your attending is not going to be impressed that you talked yourself out of doing 
a test. Your attending is going to be more impressed that you even thought to run this test thinking about, you know, trying to see what your reasoning was. Obviously, if it's a really stupid reason to run a test, don't do it. But the, it kind of <laughs> flows into the, if you are hauled in front of a jury to answer, you know, anything goes bad with your patient, uh, despite your best effort, you are hauled in front of the patient and your decisions are being laid out by the opposing counsel and even though you can say, but the guidelines say that this is the most appropriate way to handle this patient. So like, for example, I, like I said before, patient was taking 81 milligrams daily aspirin, had a stroke. You put him on 21 days dual antiplatelet therapy, which means 81 milligrams aspirin, PO, and 75 milligrams Plavix, PO. And you did that for 20, 21 days. And at the end of 21 days, you said, well, it doesn't matter. The literature says it doesn't matter which one. So get rid of the Plavix because it's expensive. Stay on the aspirin. And then they had another stroke. And then they haul you in front of the jury and they say, why did you keep them on aspirin? Why did you only put them back on aspirin and not keep them on Plavix? And you're going to say, the guidelines said. <laughs> the guidelines say it doesn't matter. And then they're going to find some other doctor that will say, I always put the patient on something different. And if the jury looks at between the two of them, they're going to probably side with the other guy and you're going to lose and have to shell, you know, you're, you're going to lose the case. You're going to hit be hit with medical malpractice. That was the kind of the, 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 the pearl wisdom that we were given is like, if you're going to be marched in front of a jury your decision better be good enough that the jury will be like, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> it has to be almost an emotional. Uh, it kind of felt like it was the suggestion was it almost has to be even kind of an emotional, like uh, you, oh, what was the, it was another thing. It was like uh, someone comes into the hospital with a, a minor stroke and you assess the patient and you kind of determine that the patient seems to be doing just fine, can swallow things just fine. And you do your whole workup, you send the patient home, and then they, they choke on something. And then they're going to haul you in front of a jury and say, why didn't you do a swallow test? And you're going to go, well, it didn't seem like they had any issues. None of the symptoms were related to their swallowing and speech. I didn't see anything that was related to their swallowing and speech. Um, you, oh, okay, Karen is moving. It's not going to stay there. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure what you're hoping to accomplish. You just don't want to sit in that chair, huh? No, that chair is uncomfortable. I'll be, I'll get a new chair. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, so you're, they're going to haul another doctor in who says, is going to say, I always give my patients a swallow test regardless of what their symptom, presenting symptoms are. And then the jury is going to say, like, you're going to say, and then they're also, like, also going to pull up like, you've given five of your patients swallow tests, but not this one. And the jury is going to think that you're kind of a monster. You would just be negligent uh, with your patients. I can't talk. Um, and so, you know, you, you think you're going to win this case, even though, like, it, is what you did reasonable? Yes. Would other reasonable doctors do the same thing? Yes. And then the outcome is less than is optimal. Sure. But, like, did you purposely hurt your patient? No. <laughs> like, but the jury is going to see it as, this other doctor always does it. This doctor that we're suing does it 
but he just didn't do it on this particular patient for various reasons, but the patient obviously needed it because he choked and died, then like you're probably not going to win the case. So that was the pearl of wisdom. Uh, consider the fact that uh, when you make certain decisions, what, what is a jury going to think of your decision? Um, and that, that, that kind of leads into um, the less cons- uh, conservation of medical resources. Um, I, obviously, I, I don't think that my preset there was stating be wasteful with the resources of the hospital. Like, don't just order a head-to-toe CT scan and MRI and, like, every lab that you can think of. Like, don't, don't just shotgun everything. But if you're thinking about a test or a therapy that might be beneficial to the patient, you might as well just order it and move on. Um, because if you don't, you could, I don't know, it could be, could be other issues <laughs> if you don't. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, which I, I, I've been trying to chew on that um, information for a little while because I had one preceptor, Dr. Brooks, who he made a point of saying, uh, if you order a lab, let's say you order your, your BMP, uh, and then, you okay there? Yeah. Okay, Karen is still fiddling with my microphone, and it's not working. Uh, you order a BMP, and it comes back with elevated potassium, and you just kind of shrug it off because it's not really fitting the, clinic, uh, the patient's profile. You're treating the patient and the patient's symptom, not just some random lab value. And years down the road, they point to that, and say, well, why didn't you do something about the potassium? And you're it's like, well, I didn't think there was anything to it. There was nothing, you know, but like now, now years down the road, they found that there was some sort of link of <laughs> that, that. That was an early sign of something that you should have caught years ago. And now you're his, his general advice was don't order tests that could, you know, that you don't need because if you have abnormal test results, you're going to have to spend a lot of time trying to explain the abnormal test results. So it's kind of those two statements are hard to, to mesh together, basically order a lot to cover your butt and make sure, you know, do everything that you think is, that's going to be viewed by the jury or don't order everything. Be very careful what you order because you're going to have to explain anything that looks weird even when it's just probably a normal variation of society. Anyway, I think really the point there is that there's just a lot that goes into making medical decisions, and you have to kind of weigh the the legal ramifications because we live live in a very legalistic society that does like to sue. And, I mean, you want to work as a doctor as long as you can, help as many patients as you can. Um, I think... Honestly, accidents do happen. <laughs> I don't think there's too many people who get into medicine intending to hurt patients, intending to do wrong. We do make mistakes. Doctors definitely make mistakes. And uh, so there are lazy doctors out there. There are doctors who don't do a good job. But there's, there's definitely honest mistakes or people who follow what they think is best practice. And you don't want to get sued. I, I think you get to balance that, that aspect. I think all practicing doctors do that every day and they just find a different a different flavor of how to do that so <laughs> well and hopefully your mistake gets caught by some somebody else and it's not uh it doesn't end up being a, a major life-altering 
issue for someone. Yeah, I mean, everyone's hope is that your mistake is... <laughs> I mean, like, today... Your mistake is caught, yeah. I mean, this week is, like, day one, five mistakes. <laughs> like, um, like, I made... I did... I, mean, I think I was counting. I was like, how many mistakes did I make today? And I was like, I made a, quite a few. Like, I, I think I talked to the nurse, which it wasn't a mistake, but it was talking to the nurse. I didn't really indicate that I was on the neurology team. And so I had a lot of correspondence with the nurse during my rounds, and I didn't, and she kept sending me information and I was like, okay, I'll just relay this to the doctor. Like patient needs a sedative before she goes, you know, before they go into the MRI, I'll just relate it to the doctor. And so I was waiting for my opportunity <laughs> and it took like a couple of hours for me to get the opportunity because we were still doing our pre rounds or rounding table rounds. And like my patient hadn't come up yet. And by the time I got to it, the doctor was like, yeah, that, that needs to be handled by the attending physician. And so then I had to relay that back to the nurse. I had to relay it to the attending physician. And then when I was relaying our plan to the attending physician, I made it sound like we were going to do all the orders. We were going to take care of this and this and this. And, and, I was just, and then right after that, I sent that. The doctor was like, no, no, we, we just advise and they do all the orders. And it's like, oh, nuts. Um, but you know, when the nurse was asking me to put in a sedative, I was like trying to put in the orders on my phone because I didn't have a computer. So I'm doing these table rounds and I'm like on my phone ty- typing in the orders. Like, is my first order really going to be Ativan? Like, <laughs> is that really going to be the first medication I give a patient is Ativan? <laughs> like, like, how do I even, like, I don't even know how to dose this. I, like, you know, please let my, my first medication be Tylenol or something, you know? Like, let's not go straight to a benzo or something. Like... <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, it, I, had, I ended up canceling. I, I didn't have to order it. I still haven't ordered anything. I was going to order a CT, t- no M- MRI today, but the doctor. I was. It was funny because our, our attending was like, "You order the MRI," and was like, "Great, I'll do it." And then I sent the update to the attending physician, and I went to go and place the order for the MRI. And as soon as I went to go place it, it Epic was like, "There's a duplicate order in the system." And just before I had sent mine, the attending position had already placed his. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I don't need to place my order anymore. <laughs> so I still haven't placed an order yet. <laughs> Not for lack of trying, I guess. <laughs> um, oh, anyway, what, what, what are we on here? What other pearls of wisdom do you have written down oh, there? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there was like, it's about the basic stuff. Like um, when you write your note, Try to refrain from using today, yesterday, tomorrow, this morning, uh, and those sort of things. Or you can, I guess you could probably use this morning. Uh, and the, the central reason behind that was if people copy and paste notes over, it gets really confusing if three days, you know, patient's been in the hospital for three days and someone copies and pastes your note, and then somebody else reads it, and there's this reading like, yesterday the patient had all these symptoms and then they go to talk to the patient and the patient has a completely different story and it's just hard to track down when yesterday was when notes are being copied and pasted and that's actually relatively frequent in the hospital unfortunately um so it was a no-no in orientation (laughs) well it wasn't it was a you can copy and paste but you better make sure you review the note that you are copying and pasting to make sure it makes sense. Um, so it's, it's uh, you can do it with caution and they would prefer you not to do it. So 
the, the basic pearl was use dates, so like 7 2, 7 3 a.m. this time, and like so that way when people copy and paste, they can orient themselves based off of the date and not necessarily based off of. Um, I don't know what the correct word is for it, like yesterday, today, tomorrow, um, very, which can be very vague if the date, if you're not fixed to a certain point. So uh, that was another pearl uh, that he was given out. <laughs> there was other things like, I think, you, I, I think maybe tongue in cheek, but like the nephron's not real. Uh, <laughs> it was a pearl we were told. Uh, that's not necessarily, I don't think he really meant it as like, diuretics don't work <laughs> i think it was more of like our understanding of all the different parts of the nephron really are almost theoretical as i think how he would put it um and same with the clotting cascade that not that it doesn't not that it doesn't exist but because maybe it's not the iteration that we currently understand it may not be the final iteration and so <laughs> don't hold too hard to it but i think that's generally um, well, isn't that all medicine, though? Yeah, all medicine. Like, last, last pregnancy, they put me on iron at the end, and, like, they prescribed iron every single day, and I was like, dear Lord, I do not want to do this, because iron is not fun to take for many reasons. It makes you constipated. It makes you constipated. It doesn't... It makes you feel sick, and... Um, but, like, Eric had just done his round with that long boy yeah and they had had a discussion about this and the most recent studies basically say you could only absorb this amount in this amount of time so you shouldn't actually be taking it every day the best you could take it every other day and get the same results yeah so like, did i take it every day no well, and, and it's fine <laughs> like you can only get so much iron into your system so if you just try to max out daily you're just not going to get there and there was, I think, up to date has a. They mentioned a study where they just had people alternate every other day, and they, those people had just as much iron in their system absorbed as the people who took it daily. So it doesn't really matter. So, <laughs> and if you're going to spend a whole bunch of money on vitamins and minerals, like you better, it's best not to just waste it. You know, by eat, you know, chowing down on it more often than you need it. So yeah. So I think a lot of things in medicine. Like get updated, gets updated is continually changing, which and is why you guys all have continuing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, I guess kind of leads also to uh, some advice. I, I, I was fishing for some advice before I started my rotations from some of my previous preceptors. Uh, one in particular, Dr. Poku, who was our electrophysiologist uh, preceptor in Macon, Georgia, um, really enjoyed his rotation. He's like a phenomenal guy. He's got a very memorable laugh as well. Um, but his advice was reading the primary resources. And so I, I definitely would recommend it. Um, a lot of times your, your attendings are doing this work where they'll, they'll read studies, they'll read the studies and what they, they come up with, how they're developed, and, um, and then they will act on it. So, for example... I, I could be completely wrong on this one, but like the chance study is one that is what's kind of governing the dual platelet and uh, dual antiplatelet therapy for embolotic stroke. Um, and so that is something that we, we, we base everything on. I think it's, I believe it's the chance study. It could be a different one, but a lot of our, that, that dual antiplatelet therapy comes from that study. 
And so you sh it's not a bad idea to read it. Um, there was another study I actually did read. <laughs> the, uh, it's called the Simpris study. Uh, S-I-M-M-P-R-I-S, something like that. And that study was looking... I'm on neurology, so this is all going to be neuro stuff. So take it or leave it. Um, <laughs> that study looked at uh, stenosis or arthros arthrosclerosis in the intracranial vessels and... Um, treatment with intensive antiplatelet therapy, you know, with act with lifestyle modifications and whatnot, versus medication and stenting, because uh, there is a procedure you do uh, intracranial stenting when you have uh, stenosis uh, that's greater than I believe seventy percent. Um, which is the magical number, in case you're ever wondering. <laughs> Everything is tends to be 70% or more is the magical number. But anyway, they, they were finding that in this study, they did about, I think, 451 patients that were enrolled in this study. About half were um, randomly assigned to this group where they got the intracranial stenting, and the other half were given this high-dose antiplatelet therapy. And... They had, to, they had to stop the study because the initial findings were showing that patients that, getting, that were get, getting the medication alone were surviving more. <laughs> they were a very significant, and I'm, I'm using very layman. I don't want to, I didn't write a lot of notes on this, but it was basically like a significant difference in survivability versus the procedure. The procedure was finding that a significant number of patients were actually, um, I mean, this is probably a normal outgrowth of any time you go into a vessel. Anytime you open a patient up, you increase the risk of clotting. Um, and so, and especially when you put a stent in, you, I think, initially increase the risk of clotting. Um, so a lot of these patients would have strokes within a couple of weeks of having a procedure done. And so they stopped the study, and the basic recommendation coming out of it is high-dose antiplatelet therapy for 90 days uh, in patients with intracranial arthrosclerosis or um, plaques in the, the intracranial vessel. So that was a, kind of an interesting takeaway. Again, reading the primary sources, um, it, I don't know if this is on your boards. I don't think you're ever going to – I don't know if you're going to find this on your boards for another three, four years, but – um, in the practice of medicine, it's just new studies come out and you got to read it. And I think, but I think this one was like 2011, so it's pretty old, relatively old, 10 years, <laughs> 10 years old, maybe. I don't know. Um, so that, that was a recommendation I took is read the primary resources. Um, I have time, obviously, on this rotation. <laughs> I have so much time. Um, like yesterday, I think I saw one patient. I was assigned one patient. I saw them. I rounded with my attending and wrote my note and was done by 11, 11.30. And we generally just kind of hang out until, because we can get consults all day. Um, so I just hung out until like 5.30 and we had a grocery pickup at 6. So I just went to the grocery pickup. But <laughs> like, uh, it's uh, uh, pretty easy, uh, pretty easy day. Um, today I had two patients. I think I... I was done with my note by one o'clock and you know finished rounding, done with my note and everything. Um, and I could have been done earlier if I hadn't chatted with a few residents. Um, but you know, I had I wasn't feeling rushed today. <laughs> <laughs>
and I think I was out by four. Yeah. So, but again, if my attending listens, I was out at five. Definitely five. I got to log my hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. I, I'm glad this neurology rotation is going better than the last. And um, it'll be interesting to see what the next few weeks bring. Um, it looks like Eric's first inpatient ICU or inpatient um, IM rotation is going to be on the... It's not the critical care for, but it's like... A step down. It's the step down. So you get patients from ICU or patients that are going to. So I have a, a good feeling that he's going to be learning a lot and be very busy those four weeks. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's three or four. I can't remember. But I don't know. I it's a lot of schedule. weeks. And yeah, it's going to be a fun one. I had talked to a few of the residents that were starting on the wards this week, and they were talking about how it wasn't all that bad, but they were on like two south, three south, something like that. And I looked at my schedule and I was like, oh, I'm on eight south, the step down unit. So, and then all week I've been hearing the overhead going off and a rapid response to eight south. And just like, okay, that's going to be my life. And <laughs> in a few weeks, I'm, that's going to be my life. Um, but it's good. Get, get that kind of out of the way. We're still really toying with step three, when to take it. When's reasonable. Yeah, and, and we've gotten quite a bit of advice on it. I think that's something we'll probably cover on the next episode since we're hitting almost an hour here. Yeah. But um, 48 minutes. Yeah. So um, we are going to do our best to get you an episode weekly. Um, obviously, Eric's schedule will be changing. It's We have a fairly, I mean, we have his schedule for the year, I think, for the most part. Um he will have some nights, and so during those times, uh, maybe we'll try and get some special ep episodes recorded or get some other residents in here to uh, tell their story. Do the thing. <laughs> Do the thing. Um, but, yeah, we will try and be as consistent as possible, but just know we are <laughs> we are still on our med journey. Yeah, <laughs> not med school, med school anymore. We gotta change the intro. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, all in good time. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. Ask any qu questions you want on Instagram. We'll get any answer to you or we'll address it in the podcast. That's MedFamilyMD. Yep. And subscribe to us on any of the major podcasting platforms. Yeah. And if you want to rate, like, share, whatever, we would appreciate that as well. Um, you guys have a good rest of the week. We will talk to you next week. Bye.